I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I have joining me Lee Travers, who is the CEO of Binance Australia. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Great to be here. Well, you know, I, I, I'm surprised you made it back, Lee, because uh, we, we just had the Australian Crypto Convention at the Gold Coast on the weekend, and you were fated like a rock star up there with uh, with truly the uh, the crypto believers, uh, really loving sort of everything that Binance had to offer. It was a it was a great conference. It was, it was. It tells you how much of a brand Binance Australia has built up over here. And yeah, there was at one stage about uh, five people deep, you know, sort of queuing up, wanting to meet the team here and sort of see how Binance could get involved with with their projects to hear what new products we had coming out and hear our view on the market. And to see over 3,000 people there in the Gold Coast to talk about Web3 and, and crypto in you know what could hardly be described as a bullish market, I think surprised everyone. <laughs> I, I think that's right. It was it was remarkable. I think the you know the the fact that people are so committed to this. It was great to see. So so thank you very much for making the time. Now obviously Binance is is one of the best known sort of brands in crypto in the world. But for those listeners who may not be super familiar with Binance, could you just give us a little bit of background. What does Binance do? Well, Binance has built the world's leading blockchain ecosystem, um, which is headlined with our product suite that includes the world's largest digital asset exchange. So on, on many metrics, the Binance Digital Currency Exchange is the largest in the world. Um, and that's been built up since 2017 and has been available to Australians since 2020. So in a very short period of time in Australia, Binance Australia has built up nearly a million customers. Wow. So potentially one of the fastest growing tech or fintech companies within the region. Um, since the last year that I've been here, um, the team's grown 3x. Uh, and I think just beyond the digital asset exchange, that the mission here is to become the infrastructure service provider in Web3. Um, and, and so far, so good. It's fantastic. God, those metrics are insane, aren't they? So a million customers. Do you have a sense of, of sort of the demographics behind that customer base? In Australia, yeah, it's broad. So there is certainly a higher representation amongst the younger demographics, millennials and so forth. But we are seeing pretty strong growth in some of the older demographics too. Um, it's been yeah really interesting to see that. We have built some additional checks, some additional education in for what we'd consider as um, more of our vulnerable users, yep. those that live in remote areas, disabilities, older age, et cetera, to make sure they know exactly what they're doing. Um, they're not operating the account on behalf of somebody else, et cetera, um, and, and really trying to educate them, introduce them into the market quite sustainably. Uh, I think that has sort of seen the the move from crypto as being more of a sort of fringe idea from technologists into something that's becoming more mainstream, whether that's part of a diversified investment portfolio or you know with the recent interest across sort of NFTs and and then broadening that that uh, interest group for Web three. Um, yeah, Binance is really supporting all of that um, as you know the largest exchange. Um, we've also got 
uh, well, we have started, I should say, a blockchain that's that's similar to Ethereum mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that it also offer, offers a, a proof of state um, proof of stake network and has um, a smart contracting layer so that you've got applications being built on top of it. Um, there's mobile wallet that is somewhat similar to MetaMask, which is mm-hmm. one of the sort of largest Web3 products out there. Um, and indeed on the NFT side, um, it's the largest centralized NFT marketplace. You know, most people are aware of, of OpenSea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Binance is a arguably easy to use competitor to OpenSea. So that there are a lot of things that, that Binance offers. Um, maybe just to, uh, I guess, clarify for some folks. So, so I guess it, it sort of, Core proposition where where I guess the business started. If um, if people wanted to buy some crypto and that they would come to Binance and just go through the normal sort of AML KYC process, and then they could just buy some crypto and and they could leave it on uh, the Binance platform for custody, or they could take it off. Yeah, exactly. So the main business that I'm interested in and I'm involved in and CEO of is is Binance Australia. So we offer the conversion of spot uh, crypto trading. So you deposit AUD uh, instantly, no fees, trade crypto with the lowest fees in the marketplace. You can store that crypto, your Bitcoin, Ether, BNB, et cetera, on the platform or withdraw it off uh, and manage that or utilize that in the marketplace. So um, that's something that we are registered with Austrac for, uh, for reporting um, and have recently broadened that in July of this year to include derivatives. That's Binance Australia derivatives. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a director there of that business. Um, and that's really targeting that sort of trader, the investor marketplace. Um, you know, I'm seeing that that market size over the next few years is around four and a half million in Australia. Wow. Which looking at who owns equities in Australia, close to 10 million, that bit over nine. Um, so 50% of that, that market size, investors, the traders, I think, would be interested across the Binance Australia, Spot Crypto, as well as derivatives. Um, but there's a lot more products that we'll be adding over the medium term, um, which will increase the utility of crypto. So that'll be things like a Binance card where you can pay for goods and services with your card, zero cost foreign exchange when you go traveling. And rewards for using that card won't be frequent flyer points that, you know, you can never use. (laughs) They'll actually be rewards in in crypto, which is, you know, what what our users want. Um, So, yeah, increasing the market effectively for Binance Australia from just uh, spot crypto into derivatives. And then the utility of crypto is coming through with Binance Card, Binance Pay, um, as crypto become more ubiquitous throughout Australia and throughout payments. Um, the other interesting product that we launched over the weekend at the Australian Crypto Convention was the Earn product. And that enables users to earn a return in crypto on their holdings. So rather than leaving your crypto held in your spot wallet, transfer it to the Earn wallet, mm-hmm. which means Binance can utilize that, for example, offering that to users that would like to margin trade globally, or for us to go earn a return on that through staking. And then in consideration for that, users will receive a return in crypto uh, on their holdings. So it's a great way to increase your crypto holdings in this current market without having to trade. 
Great. And just on um, on the earn product, I mean, what's the what's what's the sort of current interest rate and so forth that is being offered on earn? So there's a range of interest rates, um, particularly for the Australian launch. They're generally what I would call low to mid single digit style returns right. in crypto. Yeah. So commensurate with uh, some of the staking returns that you've seen in the marketplace, um, as well as some of the margin lending returns you may have seen globally. Um, certainly none of the double digit plus <laughs> returns that you may have seen hit the market before, other than, for example, maybe the first $2,000 as a user right. acquisition tool. Right. I think much more no. sustainable and... Yeah. I feel that, you know, with Binance, it's a platform is trusted by tens of millions yeah. globally um, and there's a, a genuine reason why users would be looking to get those, um, we're able to utilise those assets to generate returns and can compensate users as well for that. Yeah, no, it's fa- it's it's fantastic, you know, to see crypto turn the corner from being that sort of asset that, that sort of can't generate income to now being able to generate income in in ways that are more uh, trustworthy, I guess you know I was always somewhat concerned around the idea of staking for you know fifteen to twenty percent returns. That seemed that seemed difficult to understand the economics. So uh, so that you know that sounds like a great opportunity. Just I, you know one of the big issues that's always come up and and part of the problem or the overhang on crypto as it uh, sort of goes mainstream has been it's a relatively clunky user experience to buy crypto in terms of there was that sort of you know you had to figure out where to get it so which we now know obviously Binance uh, you can get it there but then there was always that question as to should you leave it on the exchange or should you take it off and put it in you know, some sort of cold wallet, which obviously has, you know, you have to have a certain degree of technical capability as well as a cold wallet. And then there's always the risk that you could lose that wallet or lose, uh, you know, your relevant password and so forth. What's the situation, do you think, these days? You know, what are you saying to customers in terms of leaving their crypto on your exchange? What's the sort of level of comfort that they can have with that? Yeah, so that's something that has been a big consideration, as you mentioned. I've been in the market since 2014 um, and initially offering Bitcoin liquidity from a mining operation to exchanges. And I've been in the position of, you know, Mt. Gox exchange (laughs) when you lose access to your Bitcoin, Mm. been in a position of lending coins to early, you know, startup style exchanges that, um, you know, hit financial difficulties and weren't able to pay it back. Um, and then had within Australia a, a product that was effectively insured Bitcoin holdings for those that really wanted to delegate not having to hold their keys personally and manage the challenges with that and then not wanting to use an exchange. And now I'm in the position of operating as Australia's largest crypto exchange over here. And I think one of the benefits of sort of seeing that sort of trans um, transition and seeing all those different avenues is just that the strongest financial um, platforms um, have the most amount of experience with sort of managing these assets and the amount that this marketplace has learned over the last 10 years has been extraordinary. So the way in which the technology of custing assets is now used 
at Binance is very different from what the early stage exchanges were doing. Um, and that means that users can feel a lot more confident that their coins are safe. Finance has actually put aside I think originally around a billion dollars as a fund to protect users from exchange malfunctions, et cetera. Um, that's on the website. Right. Um, there's also an institutional custody offering um, that's licensed out of the European region, uh, European Union. And I think that's sort of another example where um, institutional players that would like to look at, at something um, which has that insurance offering can now come to to Binance and secure that. Um, but even with this market downturn, I can tell you Binance is, is financially strong. The way in which we're able to custody with our technology is very, very strong. And I feel very comfortable advocating for users to hold their digital assets on Binance. Right. Great. No, that's that's very helpful. You mentioned institutional services and so forth. So uh, for those organisations uh, that might be listening where they're starting to think about, you know, crypto holdings, whether it's sort of balance sheet and so forth, I guess, A, what are you seeing in terms of the level of interest from institutions, not necessarily born crypto institutions, but rather uh, sort of those that, that are more mainstream organisations. Is there sort of more interest in how they might utilise crypto in their business or to hold on their on their balance sheet? I think the, the narrative around holding Bitcoin on balance sheet um, has somewhat subsided with the, the current market of increasing interest rates and moving away from effectively higher risk assets. Um, so seeing less interest in, in major institutions coming uh, to the Binance Australia team, for example, for, for that purpose. Um, I would say, though, the account services that are available to institutions, whether that's large institution, whether that's corporate entities that are managed by individuals, self-managed super funds, the, that sort of administration service has increased marketedly from where it used to be. Um, so we're seeing a broad range of self-managed super funds with corporate entities that are onboarding on a daily basis with, with Binance Australia. And um, that is, from a corporate account perspective, Australia is one of the top few countries globally, which is pretty interesting. And I think that's because of that self-managed super fund system means that Australians can invest with their retirement accounts into Bitcoin, into crypto, where it's not so much possible overseas. Um, I think the custody solution that's available, um, that'll be broadening out. I think the fact that we've got a regulated derivatives offering that's yep. available for corporate institutions, um, as well as self-managed super, sorry, as well as um, sophisticated investors, um, gives it a very much a broad appeal and is seen as um, something that is far more favourable, for example, than trading with an offshore derivatives platform that wouldn't have those um, sort of same requirements hasn't been through the considerations of, of offering products to to Australians under that um, under that model, um, and just yeah broader sort of products that will appeal to more institutional investors are coming down the pipe as well. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Just um, uh, so maybe talk a little bit about Binance Labs, and obviously it's been a very successful investment arm of Binance over the years, sort of investing in Axie Infinity, Sandbox, um, and even the, the Australian move to earn uh, success story, Stetton. 
Um, it recently closed a half a billion US dollar fund, sort of in June, so so well into you know I guess this this current uh, market cycle. Um, so still a lot of money and a lot of interest from other institutional investors to come in to that fund. Can you tell us a little bit about I guess how how Binance Labs works and also. You know, what may be of interest to some listeners is, uh, you know, how can they, what are they looking for and how could an Australian company potentially uh, pitch to Binance Labs? Yeah, for sure. So that $500 million fund uh, that was closed early this year um, was fantastic and Binance has begun deploying capital. It has been around that um, the lab's um, business unit for around three years. So it has a lot of experience um, there's traditional management consultants, um, investment advisors, portfolio managers within that team, um, as well as the obviously unique crypto um, expertise and experience. Um, I met with the labs team just before the um, Australian Crypto Convention to see where there was a need for, for projects. Um, and it's clear that they are targeting those that bridge traditional finance with Web3 or traditional centralized platforms with decentralized ones um, so whether that's across metaverse or um, decentralized finance um, that's fine as long as it's a man- bringing in mainstream into the marketplace growing the overall size of the web3 market um, Binance is very much interested in investing into that space um, I would say even hardware opportunities that support the metaverse um, they're open to um, and has made a lot of investments in that sort of play to earn space following the success of of Axie Um, but wallets security digital identity uh, it's a very very broad focus happy to invest in both startups scale-ups and and sort of later stage opportunities Um, yeah it's still early days but um, yeah a very active fund and following the ACC, I'll be putting together just a bit of a one-pager for how Australian founders can either get access to mentorship, partnership opportunities, or, or investment. So I think that was the number one thing that, that I heard coming uh, from that conference. Yeah, fantastic. And now you mentioned the, you know, your NFT business and so forth. Um, just interested in a little bit more because NFTs have been sort of curiously in my experience of sort of, and I've been trying to sort of talk to big corporates about blockchain for several years now, and they've always really come from the same place, which is, well, blockchain is really a solution in search of a problem. And so, you know, very few organisations, big organisations at the enterprise level, rolled any blockchain solutions. And weirdly, now it seems like NFTs are sort of the beachhead within a number of big organisations their first experience of blockchain as they rolled out NFTs for loyalty or marketing and so forth. Just interested in your view sort of more generally, it's obviously come from a highly speculative basis with, you know, apes and so forth, but now we're seeing literally hundreds of the world's biggest brands embrace NFTs. So what's what's your thoughts around the future of of the NFT market? Yeah, I think, as you touched on, um, just recently we've seen Shopify and Starbucks you know, look at NFTs to how they could offer them unique products and experiences and perks, sort of get closer to the consumer, reward the consumer for working with them. 
Uh, we've seen some big brands, you know, Adidas, Balenciaga, Tagwa, all looking at uh, NFTs, looking at crypto payments. So um, I think yeah, mainstream brands are adopting NFTs, blockchain. My personal perspective is, you know, I see the digital property rights yep. that you're able to get with NFTs as this major building block for Web3. And I think Australian creatives, artists, et cetera, can then look to commercialise some of that that they're building digitally on a, on a global basis. Yes, we've seen, you know, open sea volumes, et cetera, fall over 90%. And that speculative frenzy that we had in the market is, is over. So I think people should go back to building rather than trying to, to flip NFTs for a profit to the next person. Um, so hopefully we see an increase in the quality and the use cases around NFTs. For, for Binance, the, the focus of the NFT marketplace is aggregating some of those high quality projects across the BNB chain and the ETH chain and showcasing what the sort of world's most popular NFTs are, as well as making it easier for creatives to launch their products in the marketplace. Um, so I think yeah, both of those things are, are happening at the moment um, on the building side. We've got brands that are very much interested. Consumers are still looking to support those brands that they support um, in Web2 or in the traditional marketplace. And I think it's got a long way to go. Um, I also think that uh, NFTs have really brought out like, another wave of consumers that previously didn't really gravitate towards the investment side or the technology side of, of crypto. And I think it just yeah, says that it's such a unique, uh, interesting industry that, um, yeah, I only expect it to get larger and, and sort of bring in more um, populations and, and industries going forward. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a profound uh, opportunity, I think, the idea of owning a digital asset, which we just couldn't do before. Um, so the technology really does open up a lot of uh, amazing opportunities. And, you know, we've had you know, we had the people from Penfolds talking about their their wine NFT, had the, the good people from Australia Zoo talking about, you know, their NFT for, um, you know, it's a philanthropic uh, endeavours and so forth. So it seems to be sort of permeating. What's interesting is is that um, there's a real sort of pushback, I think, on that term NFT and that concept of digital collectible and, uh, is starting to take over. So I think we'll, you know, we may well see that that term sort of fade into the background as people really start to focus more on, I guess, what is the utility of that digital asset um, rather than the, the NFT term. Yeah, I think it's either the tokenization side, if you're looking at, you know, NFTs around investments or digital collectibles, if they are those, and I'm sure gaming will certainly come up with yeah. theirs. There's been a, two sides to that, those within gaming that, love NFTs and those that are vehemently against them. So yeah. maybe each industry will have its own different lexicon for yeah. Uh, yeah. What, uh, yeah. digital assets on a blockchain look like. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch gaming sort of almost rip itself apart with um, the, the level of uh, sort of anxiety that, that both sides seem to have around that. But anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see all that come to fruition. I'm very interested, you mentioned your wallet Um uh, offering and you know MetaMask is you know obviously it has has good market share in terms of being that uh, that NFT wallet. Just interested in talking about wallets more generally because what I'm seeing with clients, particularly sort of from marketing departments, 
is this proposition that the NFT wallet represents this great new marketing potential. Um, and so we saw Clinique basically just airdrop a whole bunch of NFTs to a bunch of wallets that had another sort of NFT, the non-fungible people NFTs. Clinique just airdropped uh, some other NFTs to those people. And so do you see this world where your your NFT wallet um, that will be sort of like your social passport, a little bit like what's in your NFT wallet is as important as what's in your Instagram account and it will be as public? That's a great question. I actually had a call with the founder this morning that was sort of in that affiliate marketing space for wallet holders. Right. So able to leverage those, wanting to incentivize those individuals behind wallets that had really interesting NFTs, were more active. Um, it's a bit like if you reverse it, thinking about how you can work with some of the most popular influencers based on what their images and videos are like on their accounts. Mm. So I would say there's definitely a section of the marketplace that's thinking exactly like that right now. We know they're tremendously high-value users. Um, and then we know that, um, you know, NFTs, particularly, you know, some of those have built up very strong communities. Um, the Ape, Follow Ape sort of example where yeah. you literally see people, you know, following others because of the way they, ho they hold a different NFT, much in the same way as you see people that wear the same clothing will do similar things too. So, yeah, um, yeah I can see that that happening. But at the moment, how big is that marketplace? Maybe it's only in the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So, yeah, focusing more on the really higher value users um, as a business case. Um, but, yeah, this market can move pretty quickly. So, yeah, next adoption cycle, it might be what's happening on your LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and your wallet. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, it throws up all sorts of interesting legal issues it does because there's obviously we've got a bunch of laws against direct marketing or not against but covering direct marketing and opt-in and so forth and once you once you flip that into thinking what does it mean to market directly to a wallet that's de-identified there's, there's lots of lots of interesting opportunities there i think for marketers so um yeah on, on the id side of things i know you've got a, a digital id uh proposition as well maybe just hear a little bit more about that yeah i think firstly digital id um, is a way of de-anonymizing yep. digital wallets um, and that's that's huge that's something the regulators obviously want that's something that um, some brands some businesses some financial services companies that are in web3 really want to get to they want to understand that that wallet and that user has been through kyc aml procedures and can do so on an ongoing basis uh, something that I worked on in 2015 to 17 around digital identity and, and financial identity, how you could take your financial identity with you cross borders. And just in September this year, Binance has launched um, the BAB token, Binance Account Bound token, which is only available to users that uh, are at Binance and have gone through a verified plus account. So it's, so it's the KYC AML plus your address verification and that means you're able to participate into web3 products that require those it's permission DeFi for those who have heard that term before um it's certainly something that um finance has thought long and hard about 
you know, there is probably around 100 million Binance users globally. It's a pretty substantial marketplace um, that is is on offer and I think, um, yeah, digital IDs, wallets, et cetera, are going to play a, a huge part in this marketplace. You know, we're trying to get rid of things like bots and really obviously trying to put um, as much effort as we can into stopping um, the bad actors operate in this market and, and digital identity is, is really one of those. And yeah, interesting to see sort of Binance release uh, a first product into that market just this month. Yeah, no, fantastic. And I, um, I, I was um, in one of the sessions I was speaking at on the weekend at the conference. There was a lot of focus on um, on the idea of anonymity, and I think uh, lots of or a number of folks incorrectly assume that they can behave in a truly uh, uh, anonymous way on on blockchains. And you know, there's probably a small percentage of developers who are who are good enough to actually completely mask their IDs. But um, for most for most of the time, you know, the ID can be discovered ultimately, particularly if you off-ramp uh, into fiat at any stage. But I, 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 came up, I came up with a proposition which wasn't super well uh, regarded. And I said, um, you know, I, I think if you've got a business model that is around attempting to subvert what governments want in terms of knowledge of who you know who owns accounts and so forth if if you've got a business model that's that's running up against that um i think it's going to be a difficult business to be in long term because i think governments have shown that they are very very concerned from a public policy point of view around uh things being able to operate in a truly anonymous way and so that's why we see you know, Binance and other exchanges are, are subject to uh, Austrac and so forth. I mean, do you do you see a world where you know if anonymity can exist, or is it effectively? Do we do you think the regulators are going to to just make it too hard for those folks to operate? Well, I, I think first and foremost, um, you know, Binance Australia, particularly derivatives, is a is a regulated institution. And we cooperate with regulators, we work with regulators. We don't offer any privacy tokens in Australia. Right. So that's that's sort of something we have a hard and, and fast rule of is complying with that. Um, I think from a privacy perspective, you know, I think um, not having, well, the ability to um, have private transactions from a personal point of view I think is important. Um, and I do think as well that central bank digital currency, you know, will pose some challenges around that, around restrictions. Like I've seen things like, say, for example, you're receiving government welfare, there's only certain products you can then buy. Yeah. So it just sort of shows that the, if there is too much control around that, there is a you know, dystopian future that could potentially be on offer based on what the government thinks you're able to buy and not buy at any given time. And it's a really hard balance to get right. We obviously don't want criminals operating um, and building their enterprises and operating on our platforms. That's what we don't want. But we also need to have some privacy for people and, and not to have a, a say in everything that, that people do that people do and uh, and want to buy. So it's a fine line. I don't have the answer there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, we certainly are complying with all the requirements from regulators on that front. Yeah. 
And just on that, obviously there's there's been a lot of talk over the last sort of year, 18 months in Australia around specific, potentially specific regulation uh, of cryptocurrencies and exchanges and tokens and so forth. What, what, what's sort of your views on, on where that's at and where I guess where the current government is, um, is headed? Yeah, I think there's two main things there. One is consumers would love to see more regulation so they can feel more protected and they can understand which exchanges are safer to use. Exchanges, particularly the ones that are looking to do the right thing, like Binance Australia, also want to be regulated. Mm. And that's because we'd love to get access to things like financial services, with insurance that's at a reasonable cost, with high-quality banking services, which are a real challenge at the moment. So we're happy to get regulated, but we do need to see um, a, a regulation um, sort of model that's fit for, for purpose. So if we're offering financial products like the derivative side, then the exchanges need to be operated and um, under financial services license. Where they're not, I think there needs to be a sort of fit-for-purpose regime. If you're offering NFTs, uh, my, my view is I don't think they need to sit under the same sort of financial services licenses, you know, the Comsec or an ASX platform, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty unique in the way that crypto assets operate. And I think that's why it's important to have the token mapping exercise so we understand which tokens or digital assets are offered and then we can regulate the exchanges accordingly to, to which assets they are operating. Um, it has seen Australia miss out on some opportunities. I think, for example, when ComBank went to launch their mm-hmm. pilot around crypto trading, they used Gemini custody out mm-hmm. of the US. Um, and the reason they did that is because the US has a licensed custody regime and Australia does not. So we'd obviously like to get an exchange licensing regime and a custody licensing regime, but I can see why the government would like to go first with the token mapping exercise that'll include the industry. Um, and, you know, that's something that Binance Australia and myself will be participating in. I think there's even some meetings on that next week. So um, it is is moving ahead. And I think, yeah, over the the medium term, sort of having this process that is more drawn out but has more consultation with industry is going to give a better outcome for both exchanges and uh, and consumers alike. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it's a very measured approach. I think I think you know we're all in agreement that some specific regulation would be would be quite helpful because we are we are definitely missing out on opportunities, and I I certainly see it. A lot when you know promoters and so forth come in with projects, and um, you know we talk about well, you know there are other jurisdictions that might be more favourable, so we see those projects uh, just go offshore. So it would be good to have some certainty. I agree. You've been very generous with your time. Just one final question. It really gets back to so so I think in this when talking about well, cryptocurrency particularly, but Web three to a degree and NFTs. Um, it can be quite polarizing. There's there's still a lot of uh, uncertainty and fear and skepticism in the market in the mainstream uh, world around what digital assets actually mean and their value and so forth. I, I put to people that either you believe that in five years' time they will be worth nothing. In fact, they're going to disappear. Or you believe that in five years' time digital assets will be part of our landscape. Um, you know, that, that must dictate how you think about it. 
just interestedly in your views, you know, what does the world look like from in digital assets in five years' time? I think over the next few years, particularly with, say, the roadmap for some of the major blockchains, adding a lot more scalability, meaning a lot more transactions that are capable of being an internet settlement layer mm-hmm. and hosting internet-native transactions is, is very, very positive for the growth of crypto, for the growth of Web3 businesses. I think we've seen that problem statement come to fruition around the control of, of Web2 platforms like Facebook and Instagram and Google wielding too much control, too much um, insights into data that users being able to own that themselves over blockchains and transact on a global level level is an inevitability. Um, And I think everything we're seeing from a technology perspective is sort of meeting those expectations. So we just need to ensure that the regulations sort of don't hit Australia in a way that we can't compete on this global level. There's certainly going to be a lot more utility for for crypto coming with um, effectively having that as a payment means mm-hmm. um, over, Austra- over Australia in the next 12 months, let alone the next three to five years. So I, I think we're going to see a lot more growth. I think we're going to see um, applications being able to build sustainably. Um, I think some of those carbon concerns, carbon intensity of blockchains that sort of put some Web3 companies off previously, um, they'll be disappearing as well. So, yeah, I think we're sort of t- um, slowly ticking off the issues, the misconceptions, the technology risk, um, that it's, um, yeah, moving forward quite nicely. So uh, I'm pretty happy with how Australia is looking and from a global perspective, I think we're on uh, a really good track towards sort of Web3 integration. But, you know, the prices at the moment um, may not reflect that. So yeah, maybe there's an opportunity there. I don't know. <laughs> now, not providing any financial advice, but it is absolutely uh, not. <laughs> it is uh, Lee. I mean, you've been you've been around this space for almost a decade. You're one of Australia's leading lights uh, in this world. Thank you very much uh, for spending the time with us today. Thank you very much, Lee Travis. Thank you, Nick. It's been great to be here and yeah, talk everything crypto and Web three and. Yeah, great to um, be at the conference over the weekend too, just sort of showing what those levels of interest are outside the internet. <laughs> it, it, it's true. It's true. Yeah, that's true. It was it was slightly weird meeting all those people who you'd conversed with on crypto Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever and actually meeting them in person. It was like, whoa, hello. So, yeah. Yeah, bad, we've got to do that more often, I think. Exactly. Well, thank you very much, Lee. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to Web3 from Mystery to Main Street. Nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice. Have a great day. And remember, every organization needs a Web3 strategy.